You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. And actually, welcome into our Tuesday bonus scoop, which means it's Zolgad, our scoop master, Darren Doogie Wolfson, of course, of Score North. Scoop fame and also uh, Channel 5 Eyewitness News and Declan Goff, executive producer extraordinaire. Doogie, what is up? Busy, busy sports time. It's a fun time, uh, certainly, to be a fan in this town for the most part. I agree. May the fourth be with both. No, yeah, stop. Doogie, no. I'm not a Star Wars no, guy. No, don't do if that anything, to you me. You know what this week is for me? You know what this week is for me? Like, what? Cinco de Mayo. Give yeah. me a Modelo, right? Attaboy. Give me. Give me multiple Don's Coronas, birthday right? tomorrow. Like, Don's that's birthday. That's what I'm all about. Is it really? Well, happy Her birthday, birthday is on. So I'm all about May Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. give me Cinco de Not Mayo. Not May the 4th, yeah, be, the with fourth you. be with you. Yeah, I know. I mean, I come know. on. I, just, I wanted to. I said that to garner this exact reaction. I tried to get you going. You did. Good job. Mission dude. accomplished. You were Good very job, and, and Declan's yeah. all excited yeah. by it. May the 4th be with you. What a bunch of crap. Um, <laughs> let's see. Where should we start? I know. Timberwolves sale. Uh, which is supposed to be, I believe, beginning to close here pretty soon. We have not heard a thing from Glenn Taylor, A-Rod, that group for a while now. What is the scoop on the Timberwolves potential sale? So the 30-day exclusive negotiating window expires here in a matter of days. I don't know if it technically was signed on Saturday, April 8th, or if they waited until April 10th which means the expiration date would either be May 8th or May 10th. But as we sit here on May 4th, we know that that 30-day exclusive negotiating window expires in a matter of days. It has been crickets since April 8th. So on April 8th, Glenn Taylor did a lengthy interview with me, with other media types, right? He was very vocal. If you've noticed, there hasn't been a peep since then. I can tell you, Judd, behind the scenes, unsolicited, I had somebody who very much knows stuff text me on Monday and said, hey, you might want to start making some phone calls. That there is some buzz that there's maybe some things that they still need to iron out that maybe this transaction is in jeopardy. I reached out to another individual. He said, yes, I've heard some of that same buzz. One of the sticking points is, so this arbitrary two and a half year timeline of Glenn remaining majority owner, then Mark Laurie, Alex Rodriguez would transition after this two and a half year window to being majority owners. Like maybe that's too long a period. Like if you're investing this much money, why exactly do you want Glenn to remain majority owner for two and a half years? Maybe for some stretch, make no mistake. I've had people tell me that Laurie and A-Rod have a lot to learn that maybe on the surface, Wolves fans might be like, hey, this is really cool. They have a lot to learn about running a professional sports franchise. Not that Glenn, even after all these years, (laughs) could still learn some stuff. We get that. (laughs) But I understand having Glenn, who's on all those boards, right, all those those ownership boards, 
You know, Glenn knows where all the bodies are buried league-wide. Yep. I get it, maintaining Glenn in some form for some period of time. But two and a half years seems like an awfully long time. I'll go back to that week of April 1st, that first week of April. So A-Rod and Lori go to Glenn's house in Naples, Florida. This thing gets ironed out in less than a week. A transaction in the neighborhood of $1.5 billion. For the life of me, Judd, I have no idea how a transaction of this magnitude could have been worked out in that short a time. So I just wonder if the end game here is that the 30-day window gets extended. I am not in a position to say that I think the sale is going to fall through, that Glenn is getting cold feet, which he has gotten in the past, yes. that A-Rod and Lori maybe are more reluctant now than at first. I'm not in a position to suggest any of that. And who knows? Maybe they're talking right now. The lawyers are having dialogue. Maybe everything gets worked out in the next two days. But I can just tell you, it is interesting that unsolicited, Somebody who's been very good to me for many years texted me and said, hey, start making some phone calls. I made a number of phone calls. One person got back to me. A number did not get back to me. Read into that however you want. But one person did get back to me and said, yeah, I've heard some of that same buzz. So I do think it's a storyline worth paying attention to this week. Does the transaction go through or do they extend the window or – is the possibility out there that this thing falls through? I think pecking order-wise, mm-hmm. I would put fall through at the very bottom. Like if I had to bet, I think maybe the window gets extended. 30 days turns into another 30 or another 60. The talks will still happen or the thing gets wrapped up this week. But I'm just telling you, it is interesting that there's been a lot of silence going back to April 8th. I never did get, and I still don't get what you brought up, the two-year, two-and-a-half-year thing. It doesn't make sense. Like, does that mean that the A-Rod Laurie group didn't have the money to complete the transaction so Glenn can remain in charge? Uh, Is Glenn trying to be Glenn, which is, I really like, you know, being the majority owner of the team, but I know I can't forever. Like, that's the one thing that was never really explained. And, like, it's not normal, right, to say, okay, we've basically agreed. I'm going to sell them the team. And then as part of that transaction, I'm going to keep the team for two years. Like, you don't hear that. No, you don't. I mean, just look at the most recent NBA sale, the Utah Jazz. That new owner started immediately. By the way, that gentleman did have dialogue with Glenn about potentially buying the Wolves, but he's a Utah native. You know, I'm sure he's thrilled to now be the majority owner of the Utah Jazz. You know, his transaction with the Miller family, it went through just like that. He is now the majority owner. There was no waiting period. So, yeah, I think that is one of the sticking points that Glenn swears. When I talked to Glenn on April 8th, Judd, he swears to me. And if anything, I think over the years, Glenn has been maybe too honest. Like, I've never... I've never sensed that Glenn is lying to me. There's been questions that he wouldn't necessarily answer, but other times I thought he was revealing too much. Mm-hmm. If anything, Glenn swears to me that it was A-Rod and Lori's idea for him to remain on. He also wants to still be, even if it's as a limited partner, still wants to be involved. He loves those courtside seats. Well, that, that I get. Some sort of ownership, so whether sure. that's 20% 
or 15%. I think Glenn is going to still maintain a stake in the Wolves for many years to come. But I'm with you. Two and a half years is a really long time. Like, if you're paying this much money, why the heck would you have Glenn remain the majority owner? Really, the the guy that represents the team at all these ownership meetings, you know, still is in many ways maybe the face of the franchise, at least the -the behind-the-scenes part of the franchise listed as majority owner. Why would you want Glenn to be that for two and a half more years? Like we're talking like the winter of 2023. That is a really long time from now if you're spending this much money. So I'm just telling you, my sense is that is one of the sticking points right now. Interesting stuff. Viking scoop bag, the draft, open up a plethora of uh, certainly intriguing topics including the fact that for the first time since he signed here, Kirk Cousins now does not have immediate competition, to be clear, okay? Because I don't want to get a bunch of tweets saying he's not going to lose the job. I understand that for 2021. But it is intriguing that for the first time since he set foot in Minnesota, Kirk Cousins does have a guy behind him that someday, hopefully, if the plan succeeds, will replace him. There is a succession plan. To me, there now is an expiration date. On Kirk Cousins. Great. My strong sense, Judd, is the Wilfs. It starts with ownership. Ziggy and Mark Wilf. I think in many ways, they are tired of cutting those big, fat checks to Kirk. That they at least wanted some sort of plan in place. No guarantees that Kellen Mond pans out. Maybe they need to give Kirk another contract in a year to two years. But I think the Wilfs are like to the point of, We're paying Kirk all this money. Is there a ceiling on how far he can take us comparable to, in many ways, what took place in Kansas City with Alex Smith being so good, but there was a ceiling? You know, so I think the Wilfs were all in on on a quarterback going in the first round. Like, I think the Justin Fields interest started with them, then trickled down. And I texted you, I don't know how much you used, you know, if we want to go sequentially here, going back to last Thursday, I don't know how much you used on Thursday with with your draft oh, show. But the entire they thing were, I they were the heavily thing. interested in Justin Fields. And yep. now you see some of the other media hopping in yep. the last 24 hours on that. But, like, I think we were at the forefront of that. You know, that's not me separating my shoulder, patting myself on the back. It was a collective effort. But, like, I think we were at the forefront of that. On Thursday, their interest in Justin Fields. Mm -hmm. I know they made a phone call to Detroit. The cost would have been a 2022 first. The Vikings were never giving up their 2022 first to move up. So that was a non-starter. They were not getting up to Detroit, but there was a phone call to Denver at 9, Dallas at 10. Heck, they even tried to get up to 12 after Dallas moved back to 12 because that would have been for Rashawn Slater, that there was genuine interest in Slater. I'm just telling you, though, if there was a chance to move up to 9 or 10 after Sewell was off the board, and I have every reason to believe that Panay Sewell was the number one offensive lineman on their board. Trust me, they would have loved to have Panay Sewell. Mm -hmm. But after Sewell goes 7, you know, if they had a chance to move up to 9 or 10, I think Fields was the guy. Now, some people might tell you their sense of Slater was the guy. And I'm telling you, like, I think they had a healthy opinion of Rashawn Slater. I think Rashawn Slater has a lot of fans over at TCO Performance Center. But I do think if, and maybe this is more just conjecture, maybe a gut feeling, 
But I do think if they had moved up in the first round, the pick would have been Justin Fields. I, I do. I, I I sincerely believe that that there was a lot of interest in Justin Fields, and I'm telling you, the Wilfs were big fans of Justin Fields. Did the Bears surprise them with their trade trade up to ultimately get Justin Fields? I don't know how the Bears could have surprised them, right? When you look at Nick Foles, Andy Dalton, they needed a a long term answer at the quarterback position. Yeah, maybe jumping from 20 all the way to 11. Right. Maybe, but based on that front office, the transaction they made a few years ago to go up and get Trubisky, no, I don't think I don't think Spielman and company were were surprised, shocked that the Bears jumped up to get Justin Fields, but I can tell you while the Vikings really, really like Justin Fields, they were not giving up next year's one to move up. And certainly not having a two this year mm-hmm. did not help their cause in trying to move up there. Interesting. So what what is your sense, Dugues, in talking to folks there about how, how much of a Cousins camp remains with the team? Like, is Spielman still all in with Kirk. I've never sensed that Mike is like Mike is like, just play and don't uh, screw up. And the fact that he takes so much away from the cap, I think probably ticks off Mike, but what's your sense of factions wise now with the Vikings, how many fans Kirk still has there? I think he is enough Judd. I think if, if it was universal that, that there weren't some fans there that he's now a San Francisco 49er that oh, a great. trade would have would yep. have happened at some point. So yep. I can't give you an exact number if it's Kubiak, Spielman, a few others. You know, if it's maybe just Rick, it's more than Rick, I can tell you that much. But, like, I, I don't know if it's, you know, four or five. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's universal over there that they're all in the Kirk camp. But with Rick on down, there's enough support with, with Kirk that, that they feel like, hey, he can – he can help us win enough games. Last year, a top five overall offense, right? Weren't they number four overall last year? Mm-hmm. Kirk had a good year last year that they feel like, hey, Kirk can win us enough games. We can return to the playoffs. Zimmer has the history of odd number of years, right? 15, 17, 19, that here in 21, that they can get back to the playoffs, maybe even win a game, who knows, maybe even two, that there is enough support with Kirk. But I'm just telling you, from the Wilf standpoint, yep. they at least wanted some sort of potential succession plan. So they were all in. I'm just telling you, uh, they had dialogue with Rick and Zim and others saying, hey, we we strongly encourage you to take a quarterback and and not in the sixth round. Take a quarterback pretty high. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, wh- what was your sense about Mac Jones? B- because I take it of the five quarterbacks that went in the first round because they ultimately did trade back and pass that Mac Jones was the one QB that the scouting department did not like that much. Agree. I don't think they were ever taking Mac Jones. He was always going to be a first-round pick. I was actually surprised he lasted all the way until 15. I thought somebody else would would jump up and, and grab him after the Niners passed on him at three. But, yeah, for probably different reasons, I don't have the book on why, but I always had the strong sense that the Vikings were never taking Mac Jones. My sense is this, Dukes. So if, if this all works out as planned, and it's actually fairly smart, Mons is behind Kirk in 21, so he does not play. Ideally, he do, he's the backup, but he does not play. Um, but I think if you put the pieces of the puzzle together and Mond develops behind the scenes like they hope, you are potentially looking at Mond being the opening day starter in 22, and then Kirk being traded next March. 
Because if you trade Kirk, you do take a $10 million cap hit, but you free up 35 mil. So that trade is doable. The contract is fully guaranteed, but that would obviously go to the team that takes him and perhaps extends him from there. So to your point about an expiration date being on Kirk's back now, I think that there is a logical path that if Mon can develop like they hope he can, that that you get the last three years, because it's a four-year, not five-year, because he's not a first-round pick, uh, that you get um, the last three years of Kellen Mond pretty much dirt cheap as your starter. That sound logical to you? It sounds very logical, but there's still a lot of steps that need to take place. Like Mond needs to show them a lot here starting the weekend of May 14th with the rookie minicamp. Then thereafter, training camp, the preseason, those three preseason games. He'll have to show them enough to have that strong belief. And not only the three preseason games, but throughout the regular season. You know, if he's if he's the scout team quarterback, you know, whatever he needs to show them in practice, he's going to have to show them something, not only on the field, but in the classroom as well. But yes, do I think what you just said, Judd, is logical? Now, I do wonder, next March, like who's trading for Kirk, right? Like we know Shanny loves Kirk, but they now have Trey Lance. How about I think George Payton? At least see that thing through. Possibly how about George the, Payton? If the Bron- if, if the Broncos aren't successful in dealing with the Packers, I could see George next March calling his buddy Rick and saying, "I'll take him." Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I would. I would side with you on that. That Denver would be would be a logical landing spot. We know the Raiders are always looking at quarterbacks, even though I think Carr is pretty good. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can do better than Carr, but he's not bad. But, you know, the Raiders are always sniffing around quarterbacks. So, yeah, I mean, inevitably, there's going to be a team or two. Maybe some quarterback suffers a, you know, a career-ending injury in November or December. Maybe there's a team right now that doesn't strike us as logical, but come November or December – would be incredibly logical. So, yeah, I think it's inevitable that that some teams will need a quarterback come March, and that Cousins would be an upgrade because I still think he's pretty good. Oh, yes, yes. I can buy the notion yes. that there is a ceiling on how far he can take you. Yep. Like NFC Championship game, can you really trust Kirk to make that big-time third-down throw? I understand that, but I also realize there are a lot of mediocre to bad quarterbacks that get a lot of snaps in this league that you can do far, far worse than Kirk Cousins. If Kirk didn't make what Kirk makes, this conversation would be entirely different. And and the problem also, since the day Kirk signed, is very simple. He has a head coach who wants to pay defensive players. Like, if this thing was built, if, if you could... Um, if you could be meticulous in getting what you want from Kirk, and you built this thing offense first and gave him a great line from day one dudes our conversation might be different then but unfortunately the pieces of the puzzle as the vikings have attempted to structure them with kirk and his contract and zim and his desires for defense don't really fit i think it's that i'm with you now also on thursday night i'll tell you judd that i think if they had stayed at 14 it was neck and neck derisaw and vera tucker elijah vera tucker who did go 14, right? The Jets move up, get the tackle slash. It looks like he'll be a guard for the New York Jets. That it was neck and neck. But I think because you know that Darisaw for sure is a tackle, that they would have gone Darisaw at 14. 
I also know that there were some tense moments in that draft room after they moved back to 23, thinking that the Colts at 21 were going to take Darisaw, that the Vikings did hop on the phone trying to leapfrog the Colts. So there was some luck involved mm-hmm. on Thursday that Darisaw slid all the way to pick 23. But I'm just telling you, if they had not moved down from 14, I'm pretty convinced that they would have gone Darisaw over Vera Tucker. But it was going to be one of those two. It was not going to be the Miami defensive end. It wasn't going to be the Michigan pass rusher. That it was going to be an offensive lineman. I'm just telling you, my sense is they would have gone Darisaw over Vera Tucker. So that that brings up a good question. If the Colts had taken Darisaw, who do the who do the Vikings take at 23? Jenkins, the the okay. tackle from Oklahoma State. Yeah, okay. I think yeah, that, that would have be been bad. their guy. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it looks like hey, the Bears just cut their left tackle. They're already penciling in Jenkins as their starting left tackle week one. A lot of people are are singing the praises of what the Bears did last weekend. That includes landing Jenkins in the second round. You know, he went in the 30, so if the Vikings had taken him at 23, it would not have been any sort of incredible reach. So, yeah, I think they would have gone with Jenkins from Oklahoma State. So, Dukes, my prediction, opening day, O-line 2021, okay? Darisaw on at left tackle. I don't care what Rick says about he's going to have to compete. No, he's not. He's going to get the job. Ezra Cleveland at left guard, um, Bradbury back at center, Wyatt Davis at right guard, and I love that third-round pick. I think it's fantastic. O'Neal at right tackle. Do you agree? I agree. Wyatt Davis is a right guard. Love the tackle. Ezra Cleveland can easily shift to left guard just based on, you know, the book on him, the scouting report, the way he moves his feet. He can make that transition. So, yeah, I'm with you. That's exactly the five that I see week one. I'm sure Wyatt Davis will have to compete with Mason Cole, with Dakota Dozier, but I see Wyatt Davis winning that job. And, yeah, I mean, Bradbury is their center, even though he has struggled. But I think, you know, maybe they let Cole compete with him. Cole can snap the ball, even though that's probably his weakness. But I think Bradbury is the starting center over Cole. So, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, Darisol – I don't see how he doesn't start week one, even though they do like Rashad Hill, that if Darisaw maybe wasn't ready, you know, maybe they could use Rashad Hill. But yeah, I think week one, it's Darisaw left tackle. They are going to pay Brian O'Neill. Those contract extension talks will pick up here pretty quick. They know they need to pay him. They love Brian O'Neill. So yeah, Brian O'Neill, as we've seen this thing now play out because they've kicked around internally. Judd, we've talked about this, moving O'Neill to left tackle. So I think depending on certain circumstances, if if some things had shooken out maybe a little differently, that maybe O'Neal could have been their left tackle. But the way we now see it, the way it played out, the reality is Darisaw left tackle, O'Neal right tackle. That's a contract hit too, right? Because if you're moved to the left side, the blind, the, the QB's blind side, you're going to demand more. So it's good. I'm very I'm very curious to see what that contract is now. Because if he did get moved, I think you could go in and say, hey, if I'm protecting Kirk's blind side, that's more. So I'm guessing that they will offer less and probably get away with paying O'Neal less if he does stay on that right side as opposed to having shifted to left tackle. Yes, but there are some right tackles that have been paid. In fact, who's the guy that went to Denver, the former Dolphin, last name James? Is it Jawan James? Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. And he's dealt with some injuries, but the Vikings had interest in him before he landed in Denver. 
a couple of years ago. Maybe Declan can Google the the contractual terms, but I know Denver paid him mm-hmm. pretty handsomely. So it's going to take decent money to extend O'Neill. And I, I just I'm telling you, the Vikings don't want to risk losing Brian O'Neill. So I see Brian O'Neill here with an extension, but I do think Judd they're going to have to pay him decent money. More scoops from the uh, draft, Dukes? From the draft, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, Mond at 66, love the Davis pick. Uh, I don't know what else jumps out. I mean, they filled a lot of needs. I was surprised they didn't take a cornerback. We know the Cal kid is going to play safety. We knew they were going to take at least one pass rusher, so they take two. Yep. You know, taking the the pit defensive tackle late. I mean, I tweeted something about him pre-draft. The Vikings had done a lot of work on him, so that wasn't much of a surprise. I do like the Iowa kid, Smith Marset. I love that four four three speed. Straight he can speed. help in the return game. He was actually a Gopher commit for about three days, January of 2017. Really? So PJ Fleck takes the Gophers job. He had committed to PJ Fleck in the Gophers. Then Kirk Ferentz in Iowa flipped him. Just a few days later. Oh, so that's when, you talk about, when you talk about that rivalry, yeah. oh, yeah. The that's Gophers why the hate. Staff, the Iowa coaching staff, yeah, I mean, maybe hate is a bit strong, but there's a lot of bitterness there. Like, I'm telling you, the Minnesota staff can't stand the Iowa staff. The Iowa staff can't stand <laughs> the Minnesota staff. That's a legit rivalry. Like, I consider the Badgers, the Gophers, 1A rival. Yep. But, like, internally, I think they they would feel better on a yearly basis beating Iowa because of that bitterness compared to beating Wisconsin. Not that there's not some bitterness with the Wisconsin staff, and flipping happens all the time. Right. Hey, trust me, the Gophers have flipped kids after they've verbally committed elsewhere. So it goes both ways. But, yeah, Smith-Marset was a Gophers commitment for, for about four days and then ended up in Iowa City just a few days later, February of 2017. It's clear that Ferenc hates Fleck and Fleck hates Kirk. Like, that is so clear. And when Kirk was, and when they, they came here this past fall and ran up the score, like, they just didn't give a damn. And the Gophers looked just terrible. Uh, Fleck, you, you could tell, was, Fleck was as mad as Fleck probably can get at a person. Like, because, you know, he's like, oh, I love and remember the like, no, I don't love him. Yes. Yeah, yeah I didn't want to and, take him know, on the bus. And then going back to the 19 game, yep. remember, I mean, the Gophers, I'm trying to remember, that was November of 2019, where the Gophers undefeated at that time because they finished the season with losses to Iowa and Wisconsin, right? If they had just they beaten were. Wisconsin, they would have clinched the Big Ten West, yep. gone to the Big Ten West Championship game. I was actually in Iowa City. They lost in Iowa City. For yep. that game. Yeah, Iowa jumped up. The Gophers made the comeback. But yeah, remember, that was the game where P.J. Fleck ran on the field. Yes. Right, wasn't it Tyler penalty. Johnson took a hit? Yeah, right on the field. He got right up. Yeah, Tyler got right. Yeah. Up. And Flex like out yeah. there, and they threw a flag. He's like, "Why? Because you can't be on the field." Yeah, so there's a lot of memories, even in recent years. The Flex staff and Fleck and the Gophers, Ferentz and and the Iowa Hawkeyes. So yeah, that's that's a nice little side story. Then the Vikings were were pretty aggressive in in undrafted free agency, wrapping up some deals. I just got off a Zoom call about an hour ago with Riley Patterson, the kicker from Memphis. So he told me, based on his correspondence with special teams coordinator Ficken, yep. multiple times pre-draft, Ficken was at his pro day on March 19th at the Vikings, legitimately showed more interest in him than just about anyone. He said the Cleveland Browns showed a good amount of interest too. So the Browns had interest in signing him post-draft, but this is where he wanted to be. Did now, they maybe he doesn't, Did they maybe he doesn't know about the history of Vikings kickers under Zim, yeah. but he said, hey, this is where... I wanted to be, and and he struck me as a a nice young man, humble young man. 
But yeah, I mean, I don't think he knows about the Vikings kicker history. I mean, put in a put in a VHS tape of Carlson, comma Daniel, and find out because he's turned into a damn good kicker, but not here. Um, to to get back to your um point about Juwan James, four year, fifty one million dollar contract with the Broncos that included a twelve million dollar signing bonus and thirty two mil guaranteed. So, I mean, I think Brian what, is is going to aim for more than that. I mean, that was that was a few years ago, right? That the cap a, is going up twenty next year, so yep. I imagine his representation will aim for more than that. I would be surprised if he ends up signing for less than that. Yep, maybe it's incredibly close to that, but I'm just telling you. I mean, that's that's pretty big money, you know. So that would be one contract I would look at when looking at what the Vikings could potentially pay Brian O'Neill. So now I'm curious, Judd. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Vikings are talking to some agents. You could argue. They could use a free agent wide receiver. They could use a free agent pass rusher, maybe a free agent cornerback. I can tell you there's some interest in Ryan Kerrigan, the former Washington football team defensive end. I remember him back at Purdue, you know, back in the days, some games against the Gophers. And there is some interest in D.D. Westbrook, former Jacksonville Jaguar. He tore his ACL. He's about seven months removed from ACL surgery. I checked. Just this morning, he is running, he is doing well, mm-hmm. but he is seven months out. So, you know, an ACL is typically 9, 10, 11 months. Should be okay by the start of training camp or at least by middle of August, give or take a few days. Uh, so that's a receiver the Vikings have interest in. And then it's hard not to wonder about Larry Fitzgerald Jr. Does he play another season? And if he does, yeah, where is that now? Like, to me, the Vikings could use another receiver that could potentially stretch the field. Like, I just don't know stylistically if Fitz is a really good fit. But, like, if Larry Fitzgerald Jr. wants to finish his career here, I don't know how the Vikings would turn him down. He's his own agent now, so the Vikings don't even need to go through any representation. They can just deal with him directly. His dad told me that, so I'll trust that information. His dad, Fitz Sr., told me that, that Larry – represents himself. So I just I don't know how the Vikings would turn down. I think he'd be great him. in in the room. Yeah, well, he would. I mean, Although, a, you know, he's a pro. Adam's pro. been around long enough, Justin now, sure. you know, after his year. But I Fitzy, don't know how much help that room needs. Yeah. But he would be great. It can't hurt. But I'm though. just saying like I could argue that that stylistically they could use a receiver that can maybe stretch the field mm-hmm. a little bit. That that maybe somebody that can help them a bit more, you know, than Larry on the field in-game yeah. is more of a need than help in the room. But I'm just telling you, like, if 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 Larry, you know, if, if there's a phone call, if there's a conversation that, that takes place and there's genuine interest, like, I'm just telling you, I think it would be really hard for the Vikings to turn Larry down. But I'm just telling you, there has been some dialogue on D.D. Westbrook. I've got your nine route guy. He's on the roster. Justin Jefferson. Just have him run the routes. Like, like, just do that. That's fine. You know, it's it, it feels to me like in those cases, Dukes, it's a hesitancy to call the play, but it's also because Kirk doesn't want to screw up and get picked off. But I go back to when they when they did those deep routes to Diggs, Kirk made some beautiful throws. I mean, some gorgeous throws. And Justin Jefferson can make those plays. And I don't know what Jefferson's straight line speed is, but if you watch him play football, he has great football speed. So I really think that the option as far as trying to stretch the field at times is there. The question is, 
as play callers and as a quarterback, will they do it? Because Justin Jefferson, I think, can do a lot of the things that Diggs could, but Diggs' frustration here grew in part because they didn't, you know? He does have that speed. He's got that 4-4 speed. Thielen does, too. So you could argue, use fits, help on third down, help in the room, that you have those guys that can stretch the field in Thielen and Jefferson. I'll tell you this on Jefferson. So yesterday, I Zoomed with Hugh Jackson, the former Cleveland Browns head coach. Oh, yeah. And I put something on social media that that Hugh worked for three months pre-draft with Kellen Mond. You should have seen my... My notifications. Vikings fans went ballistic. Like they are now convinced because Mond spent three months with Hugh Jackson that Mond is going to be a failure, that he has no chance. <laughs> so I was chuckling at that, but Hugh told me that a couple weeks ago for, for a few weeks stretch, <laughs> Jefferson was at their facility. So he was at a place called the House of Athlete. I forget the exact location. Somewhere down south. Somewhere warm. Sure. Justin Jefferson and the owner of House of Athlete is a former LSU Tiger. So Justin Jefferson had that connection. So Justin Jefferson was at the facility as he was there helping train Kellen Mond. And Hugh said he was just blown away seeing Jefferson up close. He said he texted Zim and he said to his buddy, this is Hugh telling Zim, like, you are so bleeping lucky to have a receiver of Jefferson's caliber. Like he is off the charts, brilliant, good. And and Hugh said Zim texting him back saying, You're damn right. You know, so you know that 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 struck out to me that 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 Hugh had a chance to to see Justin Jefferson People up close. Hate yeah, Hugh Jackson. Don't gotta, ever mention Hugh kick. Jackson again. I know. I got a kick out of out of the notifications sent my way about all these fans are now convinced. My comeback to them was, it's a mixed bag. Like, there are examples where he was the quarterback's coach somewhere or the offensive coordinator yeah, bad head where coach. a young quarterback failed miserably. Ramsey in Washington, there's a few examples. But then the comeback is Joe Flacco, that Hugh Jackson was the quarterback's coach early in Joe Flacco's time in Baltimore. Joe Flacco came from the FCS, came from Delaware. It's not like Joe Flacco came from a Power 5 school. So even though he was a first-round pick, Mm -hmm. there still was a lot of development with Joe Flacco that Hugh Jackson did have his fingerprints on Flacco, right? So it's not like Hugh is a complete failure. And oh, by the way, yeah, Hugh failed miserably as a head coach. coach. Yeah, But what the heck does that have to do with just specifically helping develop quarterbacks? It It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, but we care. We care deeply. Uh, twins. So there's a dilemma here. That's a good thing to have, but I think the solution, I think the solution is going to be difficult for them, but it's obvious to us. Miguel Sano's return. Alex Kirloff looks to me like he should play first base, like outfield wise. He's not great. It, It looks like he runs, um, better than I do, but not a lot. And at first base, he looks like he's comfortable. Um, he has the attributes to play there. He, at the plate, Dukes has that sweet swing. I I mean, I think he's just tipping, you know, he's touching the surface of potential. So the the next point is, I don't want to take a rise out because I really like him too. So when Sano comes back, and, and the Twins are doing a very good job of trying to push it down the road right now, do you think that they would put Sano back at first, or are they going to try and spot play him? Because if you put Kirilov in left, take a rise out and have 
So now at first, I think you've no questioned weakened yourself in a couple of ways. Yeah, but I think what they'll end up doing, Judd, is mixing and matching. That at times, we'll see a rise at second base. That's where he wants to be, right? That Jorge Polanco is on the bench. That Sano is at first. Mm-hmm. Kirilov is in left. That at times, we'll see Kirilov at first. Maybe Sano is on the bench. That, that Rocco's going to mix and match it pretty good. I'm with you, though. I think about last week, there was a ball in Cleveland. That was ruled a hit, but Kirilov got there, tried to basket catch it, yeah, it wasn't went good. off his chest. It just it wasn't good, and he had to cover a lot of ground. It was not an easy catch, but to me, it was an error. I don't know why they gave the hitter a hit on that play. Then I think about last night, and again, small sample size, but uh, late in the game, relatively key moment. It was, it was a hot shot to Simmons. Simmons threw it low. Kirilov, nice scoop. And it wasn't a hard scoop. But he made the play. That, yeah. And I'm with you that he's more natural at first base. But I don't think we are going to see him there every day at first base. I think Rocco is going to continue to mix and match. And I'm just telling you, like, to me, I could make a case the way Polanco has been playing that, that even with the defensive issues in left field, that maybe their best lineup at times is Snow at first, a rise at second, Kirilov in left field. Interesting. Uh, How long? But also don't forget that I know Donaldson's been playing a lot. Heck, he tagged up a few games ago from third base, looked okay, so why not just keep riding this Donaldson train? If he breaks down, he breaks down, but you're paying him all this money. Right. You know, and he's been playing well. Keep it rolling. But I do think at times Donaldson is going to get a day or two off. So then a rise sure. plays. Oh, yeah, there, there's days. chances to play. That's I, what I'm saying. I'm just They're saying. They're going to mix and match right. things. My, my point is I don't think that you can just give Sano his job back and, and say, oh, you know, great that you're back. Mix and match, play different guys, rest guys, that's fine. How much longer are we going to continue to be subjected to the Matt Shoemaker experience? <laughs> well, you know, Dobnak goes down with, the optics suggesting, not only the optics, but some people close to Randy suggesting he's being sent down to be stretched out, that the option is going to be there, that if they need a DFA shoemaker after another bad start or two, that Randy can replace him in the rotation. But it's not quite to that point, but they at least want to have that option, that Dobnak is completely stretched out, so Randy is going to make some starts for AAA St. Paul. Okay, so yeah, because that that's the one that's the one piece that... He works so slow and he's struggling so much. And I got to think that if I'm playing behind him, I'm going absolutely crazy. Um, fi- final twin scoops. Got anything else from uh, Target Field? Well, I mean, I've been asked about, like, Shane Green is a really good reliever out there. I can just tell you the twins are well aware that he's been throwing a driveline baseball in Seattle, mm-hmm. that he's in good shape. John Heyman had the note that multiple teams have inquired. Well, if the Twins have the book on that part of it, the Twins have at least done a little bit of research on Shane Green. I don't have any sense that the Twins have made him any sort of offer at this point. There's a lot of teams that could use bullpen help. The Phillies could use bullpen help. His old team, the Atlanta Braves, could use bullpen help. So Shane Green is going to have some options. So it might be hard for the Twins to land him. But the note I want to get out there is the Twins certainly know that he's in pretty good shape. Right now, I've also been asked a little bit about Jonathan Lucroy. You know, could he be the Twins' number two catcher? And he's got a bit of a, a track record that he is out there on the open market right now. 
nothing. Crickets. The Twins have not made one inquiry about Jonathan Lucroy. So are, are they going to go with the backup that they called up to replace Jeffers for now and, and hope that Jeffers can get on track at St. Paul? Or what's the hope there, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's exactly it. And, you know, if, if there's some hiccups here in the next, you know, three, four, five weeks, maybe go find a different catcher to acquire. Or who knows? Maybe they maybe they eventually make the phone call on Luke Roy. But right now, there hasn't even been one phone call. Complete crickets on on the Twins and Jonathan Luke Roy. All right. Great stuff, man. Got, got any uh, last scoops for us? Or are you good? Sure. Well, I've mentioned a few times about this guard from Basconia. He's a U.S. citizen. He played college ball here in the United States. Mm-hmm. His name is... Perrier Henry. So he's one of the best guards in Europe. Plays for the aforementioned Basconia team. He is an unrestricted free agent after the Basconia season. So there's been dialogue with the Timberwolves. But nothing is going to happen right now. So I had said a couple weeks ago that I thought we'd have some sort of end result one way or another in the next 7 to 10 days. Well, the end result is he's not signing here right now. But the two sides will get back together in the offseason this summer. So that's a name to remember okay. this summer when the Wolves look to tweak their roster. Remember that name, Henry, but nothing is going to happen before the end of the Wolves season. Great stuff, Dukes. Talk to you again on Thursday, okay? You got it. And then, then there's Steph Mitchell, the former Boston College forward, Shakopee native. He announced that the Gophers are among his final four. I continue to hear that he's at least trying to go through the NBA pre-draft process. Now, do I think he's an NBA player next year? I don't. I think he's going to play college basketball. He had a really good run for multiple years at Boston College in the ACC. So he's he's a big-time college basketball talent. The Gophers have this glaring need on the inside. So I can just tell you, Dave Thorson and Ben Johnson are working Mitchell hard. The Gophers hope to land Steph Mitchell. Awesome stuff, man. Talk to you later. Okay, see you, Judd. See you, Declan. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.